This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Edmonton, home of the only undefeated team in the Canadian Football League. The Eskimos have jumped out of the gate 3-0. Three close games, but they're able to figure it out in each and every one. We'll break down the most recent victory Friday night over Ottawa with Eskimos analyst Blake Dermott. He's going to come up in a few minutes. Oh, this will be fun later on tonight. Jack Michaels, the one and only play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers. We have some of his audio clips playing in the opening to this show every night. He's going to be in studio between uh, 6.30 and 7.30 tonight, so that'll be a lot of fun. Jason Moss, Morley Scott, Eskimos Coaches Show at 7.30 tonight. The Blue Jays winning a game up 3-0 on Boston. Fenway Park, it's in the top of the third. Jays threatening to score a couple more first and third with two out. We'll keep you updated on that one. As for the Eskimos' latest, Adarius Bowman, did not practice today. We'll see how he looks as the week progresses. Blair Smith uh, might be taken over at Will Linebacker. That's been a tough position for the Oilers. Corey Greenwood hurt in training camp. He's out for the season. Adam Konar looked like a calf injury on Friday night, so uh, might be down to the third stringer for the Eskimos at that position. But they did get the win on Friday, a tense one over the Red Blacks. Riley takes the snap, looks to the end zone, throws. Touchdown, Eskimos! Adarius Bowman into the end zone. There's the kick. Ball is up, and it is good. The Eskimos have an eight-point lead, 23-15 over the Ottawa Red Blacks from the two now. First and goal. There's the gift of Powell, and he'll get into the end zone for a touchdown. Motion starts. There's the snap. Harris is going to get it, and it goes incomplete in the end zone. 27 seconds left, and the Eskimos have a two-point lead after the failed two-point convert. So the Eskimos holding off last year's champions who fall to 0-3-1 on the season. The Eskimos' next game, by the way, coming up already on Thursday at Hamilton, 4 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 5.30. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. It's 6.08, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the show our Eskimos analyst, former member of the team, Blake Dermott. Blake, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Doing, buddy? I'm doing fine, Reed. Thanks for uh, uh, thanks for having me on. Well, it's good to have you back on the show. I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, about your your injury you suffered on your motorcycle trip. Uh, just just let people know how you're feeling and, and how the ribs are coming along. <laughs> well, well, today I feel like crap. Um, okay. That's one thing. Um, it, uh, but but it's three weeks into it. They say it's about a, a, an eight week um, recovery. 
Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sore, uh, about running out of all of these supplied pain meds. Uh, so I'm, uh, learning to have to, to deal with that, uh, on my own. And, and, but the best thing about the whole, the whole incident, the best thing that, that actually happened was that in, in uh, doing the, uh, the research, uh, on me, on me after the accident, they, they discovered that I had a, uh, an aneurysm and, uh, they never would have discovered that, and so that uh, as soon as my ribs are healed, essentially uh, August eighth, I'm uh, I'm back in the hospital getting my aneurysm fixed, and uh, um, and then and then I'll be good as gold. Okay, so, <laughs> so you're still he- sorry. A- aneurysm is this? Uh, I mean, when I hear aneurysm, I think brain. What mm-hmm. are we looking at here? No, this is um, uh, this is a, 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 an, it's called an iliac aneurysm, which comes off your aorta, but it's. Uh, it's essentially about two inches to the left of my uh, my belly button, uh, deep into my uh, stomach. Uh, here, I, I've learned an awful lot. Uh, I don't want to bore all the listeners, but but it's essentially a, a bulge in in the uh, the the blood vessel that uh, is at a potential that it could burst, and uh, um, and and that potential is debatable when it could burst. I, I I may I could have had this thing for the last ten years. I don't know. Uh, so, but they, it's, it's at a size now that they figure that it's time to, uh, to do something about it and, and to fix it. And, and with my age, the way it is, they, and, uh, my, they say my health being relatively good, then I, uh, I'm a prime candidate to get it fixed. And I'm glad to have that opportunity rather than the alternative. Okay. Well, it, it was great to have you back on our broadcast on Friday. You were working the, the sidelines, actually, because Brendan Ulrich was uh, finishing up his European vacation, which I'm sure is going to lead to a lot of storytelling <laughs> on uh, Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer as he gets back to work on that. Uh, Blake, before we get into the game, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your, your bike accident to get a, a story or two out of you because I do know... Uh, as as painful as they were at the time, a lot of retired athletes uh, revel in telling stories of injuries that they survived. Uh, <laughs> from, from your career, what uh, what what stands out as an injury you really worked through or toughed out? Well, the one that that stands out in my mind, and and I thought was you know pretty significant at the time until uh, I'll now continue the story was in 1993. I uh, in the Labor Day game in Calgary, I tore. The large head of my bicep off of my left, of my, uh, sorry, off my right arm. So, essentially, you know, that part of that muscle tore off in the game and left me with a, a hole, a depression, and and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's it's quite a common injury in, in sports. Um, a lot of players get it, but it's very painful. Uh, you, uh, uh, because of what I did for a living, being an offensive lineman, a lot of the the the, the actions that I did was pushing. I wasn't more of a pulling. If I was more of a tackling guy, a defensive player probably would have been a lot more uh, difficult to play with. But I played the following Friday. I didn't miss a game. I played with this injury, and and uh, uh, it felt like my shoulder was going to dislocate sometimes because that part of that bicep stabilizes the shoulder and. And, and all of that, and, and I thought, yeah, he's a pretty tough guy having to do that. Well, then I find out, like, two months ago, I'm pulling my sock on my foot, and uh, my foot was a little damp as I'm getting ready for work, and I tore the large head of my left bicep off, oh, pulling my sock on. So it wasn't such a... jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, so this, like, it's it, kind of, sort of like, did it, apart, I think. did it tear right off the bone? Is that what we're it's talking just, yeah, about? Just, well, I mean, I think what ends up happening is over the, over the years, they... There's been, uh, 
you know, a, a significant amount of trauma to those, uh, to the ligaments and to the tendons that they, where the where the muscles insert into your body, and and they eventually start to wear or fray. And you know, I've had like you know, people say, ah, I got a sore shoulder or something. Well, that's probably what it could be is that you've had this constant uh, over a long period of time wearing down of that that uh, that particular insertion, and and uh, it eventually just gave way, and uh, and. You know, for me, uh, and for, for that type of injury, it's not a debilitating injury because you have two heads to your bicep. That's why it's called the bicep. So I still have one part of my muscle still attached, but the large head is, is not. And, and uh, my arm went black and blue for a few days. And <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I, it's, it still works. It just works at the doctor said it about 85% of what the other one would work at. So now I've got an equal set of arms. Before I was kind of... <laughs> no, no, you're balanced. There you yeah, go. Now, now, I'm, now I'm balanced. Yeah. <laughs> well, still, for, uh, for a 36-year-old, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I think I have underwear older than that. <laughs> yeah, Blake Turbot joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, well, we are glad you're back, uh, back on the broadcast team. And like I said, you're on the sideline to see the Eskimos uh, tough out another close one they, they fell behind again but it wasn't one of those uh, insurmountable ones they they took control of the game with 17 points in the last three minutes of the first half and you know what Blake before we get into the Eskimo stuff I do want to get a quick thought on Ottawa because the, the team that won the Grey Cup last year always has kind of an extra eye or two cast towards it and I'm just looking at the, like, obviously I'm thrilled the Eskimos won and they, they made enough plays to win. They had a couple really good drives. But also if I'm looking at that game totally neutral, I'm thinking, man, Ottawa gave away some points and took some penalties at the wrong time. And that's kind of been their story this year. Yeah, and that was one thing that Rick Campbell said after the game. I mean, they, they are, they've got to stop letting teams get the wins. And they... When you look at what they did, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, kicks, uh, I think there was a... Um, well, they've missed remember, the convert missed two goal. weeks in they, a row. Uh, then yep. there was the, uh, the, the uh, a lateral for a touchdown, the, the, uh, the scoop and score, six points, and, and the Thompson got, uh, you know, you, you take those two mistakes away, and, and uh, this is a game that they win, and they win handily. And, and even... Having said all of that, it came down to the last play of the game, and they could have tied the game and sent it into overtime. Ottawa is a good football team. People, you know, when they play Calgary, to in two games they lost by a total of three points in both games. I mean, they tied one but lost the other. But they, this is a good football team. Ottawa is going to beat an awful lot of teams, and for whatever reason, right now they are their own worst enemy. And uh, so when I when I their defense. A phenomenal defense. You know, Edmonton, Edmonton uh, was able to to do just enough, it, which seems to be, as we talked about in the pregame show, it just seems to be the way that they are built. They're not a team that's going to go out there and blow a team out. So if you're a fan of, you know, you want to see your the home guys go out there and beat somebody by 20 or 30 points, that's going to happen to the Eskimos once, maybe twice a year. What you saw this past weekend is what they've seen and what they've shown over the last year and a half. That's the kind of team they are. They're notoriously slow starters. They, got, they didn't score any points in the first half. It was only three to nothing at the end of the sorry in the first quarter. It was only three to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They're like a boxer who feels out the other guy, gives away a couple of rounds, and then figures out what they're going to do, and then starts the attack. And they need all 60 minutes in order to play most games. Um, 
Ottawa is a team that has a little bit more of a strike to them. They, they're they a team that can put points up on the boards uh, very quickly, although Edmonton did uh, in this last game. The two teams are so similar, but but for some reason they are hurting themselves a lot. They remind me of where Edmonton was in Chris Jones's first year. Edmonton would be in games and then over a period of four minutes give up 18 points, yep. and, and then all of a sudden they're out of the game again. And then they'd fight and struggle and try to stay in them. But they were in, in not in a lot of uh, a lot of games um, competitively. Ottawa is in those competitive games, and when they stop giving teams points, they're going to be a very difficult team. I still think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. They haven't shown it yet, but I still think they are. Blake Dermott, Eskimos analyst, joining because Inside Sports. All right, so the Eskimos moved to three and zero. You referenced all the games have been close. I want to ask you about about Brandon Zilstra. Ten catches for 108 yards. He's the Eskimos' leading receiver on the season with 21 for 296. Uh, I, I mean, I know you 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 love when I when I analyze uh, football, having never played tackle football myself. But but uh, uh, I, I I just look at him and he is so smooth. Like he just seems to take the pattern exactly where it needs to go. And then you know he fights hard after the catch. But what do what do you see about this young man that has allowed him to be so successful in his young CFL career? Well, I, I think you you said one of the key points to him. Uh, the other thing is that he never seems to drop a ball. Like you, you never see him put the ball on the carpet. If it's supposed to be caught, he catches it. And and he's also as big as he is, a six foot three, somewhere around two hundred twenty pounds. He's a very physical receiver. There was one point in the game, and I remember Morley's uh, line, uh, he said it looked like a wedding card dragging along tin cans behind it, <laughs> where he caught the ball and just, there was a, a number of uh, uh, red blacks just trying to bring him down. He, he has a couple of things that, uh, you know, the, his ability to catch and uh, his understanding of the game from somebody that came from the level of school that he came from. Like, we're not even talking. You know, I think it was Division Three, uh, mm-hmm. Concordia College, and and some place in um, I don't know if it was can't remember, it was Minnesota or yeah, yeah it was like Minnesota, that. yeah. But it, but it was Division Three. Like this is this is as far down the professional football uh, uh, hole that they're going to be looking as as you can possibly go. They, I can't remember the last time anybody significantly came out of a school so small, and. And this is a guy, if he continues to put these kinds of numbers up, that may be, you know, another Darrell Walker. We see him for a couple of years, and then we don't see him again because he's that good a player. And uh, I think we really just have to enjoy that. But then, then they, you know, they, uh, uh, you've got Duke this year, too, and it seems like the last three, four years the Eskimos have found that receiver, that, that, that diamond in the rough that nobody knew about. Walker shows up. He's great. Uh, Duke shows up this year. He's fantastic, and you got uh, you got Zilstra yet last year. And the difference is that Duke has been able to be on the roster from the beginning of the year. I, they didn't get Zilstra on the roster until what was it, the ninth like, game or tenth game? Yeah, they, last yeah year. it was in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, and fantastic finds, and and just uh, you know, uh, when if you were to talk to him, he's one of the nicest, most unassuming guys that you've ever met, and. Uh, 
and really the type of player that the Eskimos are famous for bringing in and uh, and having success. So you you but but again, throw away all of those names and you still got guys like Bowman and uh, and the people that you like uh, Corey Watson. I thought had a really good game last game, making some key catches and some tough runs as well. So so they've got a very strong uh, receiving core. But uh, I'm not surprised that Ziltra is leading at this point. And that doesn't mean to say that uh, Bowman's not going to catch a bunch of more balls and, and uh, at some point be challenging for the team lead. They've got, they've got some guys on, on this roster that can, can make plays. And right now um, uh, they're, they're, they're allowing their quarterback an opportunity to have options to throw the ball. And at times last year there was, there was two different guys. There was Walker and, and, uh, and Bowman. And this year there's, there's a, a multitude of guys you can get it to. Blake, I got one more for you, and we've sort of talked about this before, but but I always love your impression on this. And we referenced Ottawa losing all these close games. We referenced the Eskimos winning the close games. And, and we can talk about stats and this number and this number. You can't measure or see confidence necessarily. But when you have Ottawa at one extreme losing all these close games and the Eskimos at the other, you know, winning games by, what, three, five, and two, give me a sense of how that affects an athlete and a team, just their mindset as they move along throughout the season and find themselves in other tense situations. You know, Reed, that's, that's a real diff, a difficult thing to quantify because there's a, a lot of, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few ways that you can answer. And, and uh well, the first thing I want to say is that even though Ottawa has 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 not won a game yet this year, oh three and one, that is a team because uh, all you have to say is does that, does that team have confidence? They got the ball. They 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 stopped the Eskimos when they needed to stop them. All the Eskimos had to do was get one more first down. They could have probably run the clock down to a point where it wouldn't have given Ottawa an opportunity to move it. But Ottawa's defense came out there and played very well, took the ball away, got it back to in the hands of their offense, and their offense went down the field when they needed to, made the plays when they needed to, and, and, uh, and, and they just couldn't finish, right? So, so they have an awful lot of confidence in that team right now. They just don't have the polish just yet. Um, the Eskimos seem to, have, seem to have that missing polish that Ottawa doesn't have because I think when you look at two teams – Two teams have become very strong rivals over the last three years. These these two teams are built very similarly. You know they they do the they do the things uh, very. You know you look statistically they're very usually very close. Edmonton did it had a nice job with their run game and they're confident in their run game. Look at look at last year when they had Shakir Bell and uh, um, and they had White and those two guys were alternating because of injuries. One guy would have 100 plus yards, the next guy would go in and have 100 plus yards, and the other guy would come back to have 100 plus yards. The next guy, so it didn't really matter. Now throw in uh, Trayvon Van uh, in this last game, and he has 103 yards rushing. They they have so much confidence in their rushing game, and they of course, how do you not have confidence in that offense? And, uh, but the thing that I really notice more than anything, look at statistically where the Eskimos were last year at this time, pass against the pass. They are number one against the pass. They give up 230 yards a game, 238 yards a game against the pass. Against the run, they're the worst. But I tell you what, I, I think that that, and I think that's just because of a, a really small sample size. Like, they've only averaged 100, they've only averaged 50 yards in rushing against in three games, I think is what it is. They, uh, they're, they're, they're a difficult team to run against, and they're becoming a very difficult team to pass against. And that, that defense is, is 
on page three when we're in last year that by by the third or fourth game of the season they were still on page one. Right. Yeah. So they they have confidence all over the all over the field and and that makes it when you get down to those tough games when you get down to those close games to answer your question in a very long winded way it makes it very easy for those teams to be able to find it in themselves to dig deep and pull together and 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 pull out a win. But sooner or later, you can't keep living like that because you know how that works. You know, you live you live on the edge. You live on the edge. Sooner or later, you're going to fall off the edge. And then, but and then 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 you find out and you look at it and you see, okay, how quickly can they get back to that where they were? Because of the because of there's so many veteran players, so many guys on this team that and and they're they're uh, going into next week with with the determined now you're into the third string guy playing that will position unless they screw around with the ratio. You're going to be able to see what your depth is all about, and I've been saying their depth is the strongest it's been in three years. And we'll see if, they're, they're, if, if they can go with their third string, uh, Blair Smith is their will linebacker, or if they decide they have to make a change in, in the ratio. But the Eskimos will continue to move on, and they're lucky now that they got Hamilton playing on an even shorter week than they have, and Hamilton hasn't won a game yet this year, and they are not playing like the Zach Kolaris-led Hamilton uh, Tiger Cats from a couple years ago. No, they don't They don't look good at all. You're right. Blake, thanks for that insight, buddy. And, and again, glad you're uh, on, on, I won't say uh, feeling, well, you're feeling better, but you're not feeling oh, great. A lot better but on the way to that. feeling great. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's try to do this again on Friday after the Esk Hamilton game, okay, buddy? Okay, Reed, I, I would appreciate that. That sounds good. Thanks a lot. Right on, Blake Dermott checking in tonight. Our Eskimos analyst here on six thirty, Chad. So uh, yeah, he's had uh, both uh, biceps just tear off at some point in his life. Once as a player during the Labor Day Classic, I guess a game you could expect you might get injured in, and then uh, putting on his socks a couple of weeks ago. So that's just how it goes for Blake lately. But we're glad to have him on the show. So yeah, the Eskimos three and O, and that uh, linebacker position one to watch. Greenwood out for the season. Konar banged up on Friday, so they could be uh, have Blair Smith going in as the starter when they face Hamilton on Thursday. Darius Bowman did not practice today. Sean White, by the way, missed a field goal on. On Friday, he had hit a team record 25 in a row. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout for the 6.30 news. We're coming up to that. Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels was at the Eskimos game on Friday. He was also at Wimbledon over the course of the fortnight. And who knows what else we will get into with him. My name is Reed Wilkins. Remember, you can always text 6.30-6.30, phone number 780-496-0063. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You probably uh, saw the Oilers uh, re-signing Dylan Simpson, one-year deal. Other hockey notes... Nolan Patrick, second overall pick by Philly, signs his entry-level contract. The Ottawa Senators lock up Jean-Gabriel Pajot, three years, $3.1 million per season. He's 24. They avoid arbitration. Brian Campbell retires at the age of 38, 17 points in 50 games for Chicago this past season. He is going to join the Blackhawks' front office. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Our next Eskimos broadcast is Thursday at Hamilton, 4 o'clock countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 5.30. Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels standing by, and whenever we have Jack on the show, that means an audio introduction. 
Latestu to Drysaddle. Feeds Lucci back to Drysaddle. One-timer score. Drysaddle's got a hat trick. One of my first, well, actually, I believe my first play-by-play gig that I was actually paid for was uh, was an ostrich race. Bring it up the right-hand side for Logan Shaw. Now to center. A huge hit by Matt Benning on Chris Wagner. Absolutely leveled him. The handicap involved a 500-pound gentleman on the one ostrich, and it went about as it went about as you'd expect—a complete debacle. Out to Paul Martin, drop the puck, and here's Slepichev with a breakaway to make it two nothing. Slepichev fires and scores. Anton Slepichev puts the Oilers up by a deuce in Game Six. The ostrich saddled with the 500-pound gentleman, uh, reeling like Glass Joe and the old Mike Tyson's punch out before collapsing while the other ostrich breezed to victory. David D'Arnay, he'll swing it to the corner for Drysaddle, back in front to D'Arnay, shots it! Drysaddle and D'Arnay, and game five! I called into question a lot of things that particular day, and in, by, if, I, if memory serves, I, I believe I... Uh, I did a shot or two of SoCo to kind of just come come back to earth because I mean I it was it was such a debacle like I was like I just couldn't believe what I was about to do. Work free to Martinez, one timer up top, kick save made by Talbot. Twenty seconds to go, wrist shot save Talbot, rebound top of the blue paint, wrist shot Martinez save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the net. Twelve seconds, wrist shot Martinez save made by Camp Talbot. So the Jack, there's some of your best work from this past NHL season, Oilers season, and, and some of your best work from this very show a couple of summers ago, the story that will live in infamy of the ostrich race. The so old thought, ostrich race. Why not mesh those two together to either A, amuse you, or possibly B, entirely offend you? No, no. As you know, I'm not easily <laughs> offended. I mean, consider I work with you and Bob all year. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good start. If I was going to be offended, I don't think I'd last (laughs) past week one. Just showing up to work would be enough to to offend you. Absolutely. You know, he always gets the jump on you. He had me on his show today. Did you know that? I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. It seems whenever I'm on your show, or, you know, you usually book me first, and then it's almost as though the other people in this building have sensory activation, and, and then they get the jump. I think there was a point in the playoffs where I was on your show, and I was booked not once, but twice on earlier shows. But I'd already... But you had already booked me. But you, my you, show's later in the day. Yes, exactly. So, and, so and, you're and, victimized and, by and that you have, in some respects. You've been very uh, kind to me, because you've basically said, ask me whenever you want, and you almost always... Uh, uh, say yes, and I didn't realize when you were on about uh, ten days ago. Were you in London the last time you were on? It must have been like three in the morning. No, now. we were on the. Or were you already? No, back? I was in. Uh, I was just. I was in my hometown. In oh, fact, okay. I was. So you hadn't quite gone yet. Yeah, I was circling. That was when we were talking about uh, the fight. Oh, that was July Max 4th. Max Schmeling yeah. and, and Joe Lewis. Because yeah. it was on U.S. Independence Day. Because exactly. we started talking about. I left the next day for London. Okay, so I got you before before you, before you traveled. Which exactly. Was the, that was a, a, a fun conversation because. In case you people haven't noticed, Jack and I don't plan very much. <laughs> no. No, we, like we will might, never be we confused. Might, we might have a very loose... I'll be like, hey, hey, Jack, what about this? And you'll just grunt, and I'll be like, okay, I guess he's okay with it. For me, your show is like physics. I'm going in, and whatever <laughs> happens, happens. Whatever I write on the chalkboard... Yeah, whatever happens, not. happens. I'll take the grade I get, and I'm willing to deal with it. All right, so... <laughs> 
So you were in uh, Western Pennsylvania at that particular point in time. What's yes. the town again? Allensburg? Uh, no, no. That's at, first of all, you're thinking of Allentown, which yes. was the subject of a famous Billy Joel song. Um, there are a lot of burgs, but Allensburg isn't one of them. Did you know there's a Wilkinsburg? In Pennsylvania? I didn't. There actually. is a Wilkinsburg. Oh, all right. Have you, you've probably been that I've g- driven You're by. that guy. No, you haven't driven past it, have you? Well, we drove. We, you've been was in like Pennsylvania? Fifth, yeah, when I did my ballpark tour with my buddy. You we, saw the Pirates and the Phillies parks? Uh, we didn't see the, we saw the Phillies the next summer. But the the uh, pirates we drove. Uh, we Pittsburgh's saw, got a beautiful ballpark. It's, it was the best. I think one. it's the we best. Saw, we saw five. We saw seven games in five parks or something like that. Yeah. Or six and five. And then we also saw the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame, and Baseball Hall of Fame. It was pretty fun. Is but, this this was you and your dad, right? This was me and my buddy Jay. Oh, two thousand seven. So, gotcha. we, so the so the Pittsburgh was. Oh yeah, the, he talks about this in his book, doesn't he? Yes. Didn't he have a scorching case of intestinal issues? Yes, and I yes. also vomited earlier in the trip. It was wonderful. Uh, that must have been but, a great but, trip. But driving through Pennsylvania, <laughs> Jay was in the back seat, trying to contain himself. Shall we say? Right. Uh, you don't need to go any further. Yelling at me to drive faster, drive faster, and the the cook at the last restaurant was going to get kicked in the New York, you know where, if Jay was ever back in that establishment. So we get into Pittsburgh. So what we did was we left Boston after a Sunday matinee, drove to, is it Wilkes-Barre? Is that how they say Wilkes-Barre. it? Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> and stayed the night there because it was halfway, and then drove the rest of the way into Pittsburgh. So we didn't have, this was 07, so I don't know if you had could have GPS on phones at that time, but we just had printed up maps. So we were supposed to take exit four. So we get in, and usually it was one guy navigates, the other guy drives. You can, you know, it's perfect. So now he's in the back seat, incapacitated, urging me to get him to a toilet as quickly as possible. So I'm driving through Pittsburgh, strange city, rush hour, and we got to take exit four. So I'm like, okay, exit, exit 31. Jay, I'm like, we're in the city. The exits are counting down. 29, 11, 9, 5. All right, Jay, exit five. Next one's ours to the hotel. Three. Uh, I just passed uh, exit three. You, you, I can't believe. And then we got to go across one of Pittsburgh's many bridges. And now I'm like, oh my God, now we're going to cross a bridge, have to get, I'm going to have Yeah, to you miss back. a turn in Pittsburgh, you're so, going across quite a few bridges. But luckily what happened was all the odd numbered exits were on one side. Right. And then the evens were on the other side. Correct. And we got across two, four, and he then got the relief he so desired. Anyway, so you, so you were in... Uh, I was in Western, Western PA. In the town again? Meadville. Yes. Yeah, oh, Meadville, the, where Pennsylvania. Where they invented Mead. Well, actually, Meadville, Pennsylvania's probably most famous alumnus would be Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone is from Meadville. She was Miss Crawford County 1976, I think. You know who Sharon Stone is? You're looking at me like I'm. No, I was just trying to I was just speaking of, Mandarin just, or something. Just thinking of a certain movie. That's all. Oh, <laughs> all right. The, the Beaver Shot Basic Instinct. Is that what you were thinking about? I mean, I assume that's what you're talking yeah, you about. Yeah, you assume correct. All right. All right. Fair so that you were there, and then uh, you go over to uh, direct flight, Meadville to London. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's ex- that's exactly what it is. No, I I drove to Toronto and flew oh. from there. There's not even a direct flight from Pittsburgh, let alone Meadville. Meadville right. does have a small airport. All right. So you're you go to London. You're, did you see Grant Canton, by the way? All, yeah, of all course time I did. Classic inside sports guest. Yes, absolutely. Grant from Stony Plain. Uh, 
they had him on. We had him on in July. Played, replayed most of the interview during Wimbledon. So, did you know him before I knew him? No, I met him through you. That's what I thought. Yes. Okay, all right. See, not only are you a guest, didn't on the I show, bring him you, into you, your fold? You yeah, book about two thirds of the. Guests That's right. I, I thought I might have brought him into the fold. So you go over uh, Wimbledon. Yeah. So what? Who'd you see? What, what, tell, give us the sense. I of experience. had. I had second row for Nadal and Murray. And first row for Federer and Venus and Murray again. And almost Djokovic, that was, the whole, that was that whole controversy about how he didn't get to play when everyone else did for the round of 16. He got bumped back, had to play the next day, played one, and then decided that his elbow hurt too much the next round. Okay. And that was actually started by a decision that the club had made. Uh, on the last night I was at Wimbledon. Right, and so Grant s- played a prominent role in me securing the kind of uh, visibility I had at Wimbledon. It was fantastic life experience. I, this was my second time over there, but unbelievable vantage points. And the biggest thing, Reed, you and I are both one of the few things we have in common is we're both close to our fathers, although I don't live 100 feet from mine. But the bottom line is, is to see him... In all his glory, he was loving it, and he loves Roger Federer, and I think I really made his day. So it was, uh, it was a big, uh, it was a big thing for me, believe it or not. If I can turn relatively serious here, to just see my dad so happy, he was pumped. So, so that was cool. So what's it like, like stepping through the gates? At Wimbledon. Well, I mean, if you're a tennis fan, that's. Like- I mean, if you're a hardcore tennis fan, you know this is this is uh, this is. It doesn't get better than going to Wimbledon and and seeing the grass and and seeing guys up close. It's a relatively small facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like going to. Well, it's like going to the Crawford County Fairgrounds. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not a facility. It's not much bigger than K Days. In other words, it's not it's not that much different than than going to the layout of K Days. Mm-hmm. It's it's relatively packed in. I mean, they don't have a ton of space, so you're moving around and you can get from court to court no problem. I mean, this building would probably hold four courts. Right. I mean, it's so in that sense, it's a real intimate setting in a way that, say, the U.S. Open, where it's you know acreage. I mean, you can you're you're doing a workout going from court to court there. Wimbledon's different. So you saw several center court matches at Wimbledon. Correct. Now, tell me about and I remember when I interviewed Grant, he said you know once when it's not Wimbledon, it's a club, but center court is only used for the tournament. For the fortnight, right. So when you're on the side courts, are what's the seating like? I mean, is it just a couple hundred, hundred seats. people? Yeah, it a couple hundred small, seats. Eh? I saw Milos Ronic last year on court three, so the fourth most desirable court, and it probably holds about twenty three hundred seats. And I had first row for him beating Andrea Seppi on his road to the eventual mm-hmm. final. Uh, I also saw him a little bit this year, and and so yeah, I mean, quickly when you get down to even court. Two, I think, is only about thirty five hundred seats. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, in a in a way that the U.S. Open is not, where they've got, I think, four courts that are five thousand plus. Wimbledon's capacity drops off significantly once you get through center court and court one. So it's it's really an intimate setting, and for the hardcore tennis fan, I mean, it is it's just a palace. I mean, there's nothing there's not I can't imagine anything being better. So do you? So you obviously have a ticket for an assigned seat for center court. 
Correct. But now, and the other go, grounds like, passes. Grounds passes. You can just go sit and watch somewhere. Court three and below. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they. So in other words, you're you're limited. There's there's seats for center court. There's seats for court one. There's seats for court two. Grounds passes get you in to see everything other than those three courts. So what I was, you know, what I was fortunate enough to do is I actually had a couple of a couple of grounds tickets and then a couple of center court tickets and because I was there with my parents we were able to do some exchanges and you know so everyone got in a chance to kind of experience that center court experience. All right, so you you're a you're a big tennis guy. So Huge. Federer uh what 19? Federer 19 is Nadal 8 Wimbledon 16 or 15. Uh, Nadal's at 15 including 10 French Opens. Right. And he can make it 11 this year. Well, no, well, next year. Next French year. Open has already been played. Sorry, so next That's year. That's all right. Uh, Sampras then has what? He's Seven won. Wimbledons, and he's won a grand total of 14 majors, and Djokovic has won 12. Right. Roy and Emerson, Murray's, 13, Borg, 11. And Murray's got a few in this year Murray's as only well. got three. Okay. I mean, Murray's got the same as Stan Vavrinka. I mean, the, you know, so, it's easy to say big four, but Andy Murray is okay, so here's a periphery question. member of that what, group. What happens when Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic... Are retired? Is it going to be, you know? Well, that's is that, going to be like it's been since Woods hasn't played anymore. Some guy there's going to be a, for a year and a half. Absolutely, and there's going to be a bunch avoid. of guys with three or four over a five year span. Yeah, there's going to be a void. There's going to be you'll, you'll need a, you'll need a dominant player or you'll need a dominant personality to carry tennis through the next stage. Otherwise, they're going to be hurting in a big way because you're absolutely right. And it's not just those guys. I mean, Burdich is 31. I mean, Song is north of 30. Mm -hmm. Right now, the tennis tour is as old as I can ever remember it. For instance, Borg played his last match at 25. McEnroe won his last major at 25. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys were done before they were 30. Sampras won his, played his last tournament at 31. You know, we're talking Federer's 36 in a couple of weeks. Murray and Djokovic are both 30. Nadal's 31. Burdich is 31. Song, I think, is 32. I mean, this is an older tour. And then on the women's side, you know, when Serena retires, you know, they're struggling right now. They're struggling. There's there is a bit of a gap there, and and tennis is one of those sports. Reed, it's just you know, it's like auto racing, it's like golf. It's a bit of a niche sport. It needs to have something going for it. So, Jack Michaels is in studio. He's the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Oilers. We will talk hockey, but he's got a huge passion for tennis. And uh, you can text six thirty six thirty our phone number seven eight zero. Now, did you like Sliver too, or just Basic Instinct? Oh, Sliver was not very good. No, Sliver, I mean, but Sliver was the much-awaited kind of, not sequel, but the follow-up for Sharon yeah, Stone after the bus. They reshot a whole bunch, like, yeah, was not good. And that was with the lesser Baldwin, too, wasn't Behringer, that with Billy? Yeah, Behringer was in it, and I think, was it Billy Baldwin? Yeah. Billy Baldwin was the guy. Was Tom Berenger in that Behringer, movie? Berenger, and they reshot it to make him the bad. Apparently, the the him turning out to be the killer or whatever was was a reshoot. Jeez, I don't remember. Uh, this is Ryan Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Chad. Well, good to have you along for the ride tonight. Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad. Reed Wilkins joined in studio by Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels. Can we talk about that later? Where? The Friday night decision for some people in this community as far as what they decide to do with their entertainment doll. 
Yes, we can. Okay, we'll, I'd like we'll to get back to that. Because I actually have some strong feelings have, like, on well, that. Well, especially that. knowing imagine that you that our mutual friend is an Eskimo fan and made that other choice. I don't like that at all. <laughs> oh, Tom or Courtney? Courtney. Yeah, I, I think Tom was at the game, wasn't he? Yeah, Tom went to the game. Yeah, three nothing Jays, bottom of the fifth at Fenway Park. We actually got a call. Someone wants to talk to you, Jack. That is shocking. We have Daryl but... on the line. Daryl, go ahead. Daryl? Hello, how's it going tonight, guys? Good, bud. What's up? That's good. I was just, uh, I enjoy listening to you on the radio, Jack, and I hadn't heard you for quite a while. And I was curious, I remember a few months back, uh, I'd heard a rumor, and maybe it's still a rumor, that you were looking at getting a job uh, or an interview with the Los Angeles Kings broadcast team. Well, Daryl, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people have asked me about it. A lot of people uh, speculated as to what was going on there. And really what was going on, Daryl, was I was one of many people they brought in and probably for a look, uh, to be honest with you. But, I, you know, they, they had Chris Cuthbert do some games. They had Gary Thorne do some games. They had some internal people. Uh, their radio color guy did a game. Their, um, their, for lack of a better word, Tom Gazzola-ish guy do a game. I mean, they had some internal people, and then they had Ralph Strangis, uh, long time Strangis, the longtime voice of the Dallas Stars, uh, do some games. So I think they were looking for a potential fit with Jim Fox. Potentially, I, I you know, I don't know how necessarily serious a candidate I was. They asked the Edmonton Oilers for permission to speak with me about it and for permission for me to do the game. I went down and did a game, and that was that was pretty much the end of it. I, I got to be honest with you, Daryl. I'm perfectly content with where I'm at right now. I'm excited uh, to be a part of this community. I'm excited to be in a small way a part of the organization, and. I got to be honest with you. When you have kids the age I do, it's got to be something really special for me uh, to even consider because my kids now, Daryl, when I moved here, they were six and about to be four. So really, uh, this is all they know. So when you've got that kind of decision, you've you've really got to weigh uh, all factors, all things aside. But it was very flattering for the Kings to reach out, and and I enjoyed doing the game and enjoyed working uh, with Jimmy. And I wish Alex, uh, I think is, I don't quite know how to pronounce the name. I think it's Alex Creus or something along those lines. But I wish him all the success in the world. He's a very talented up and coming broadcaster, and I think he'll do great in that market. But I'm happy to be in mine. Well, I'm not going to blow smoke there, Jack, but uh, don't tell No, me. feel free. I, my bosses <laughs> might be listening. So, Daryl, well, say what you want to say. If you're moved to tears, that's okay, too. I mean, we're buddies. Well, not, you can... I'm not quite there yet. All right, all right. We'll work on that. But I will say that uh, if a fella could mute Sportsnet and at least sync your voice to the TV, I'd rather watch a game that way because uh, nothing against any of the color commentators, Jack, but you, you really bring a lot to the table to make you entertaining to listen to a game. Uh, and I know even for my son, I remember being a kid and listening to the 6.30 Jets on, uh, with the Oilers in the playoffs. And, you know, when we're camping and stuff, my old man would bring me into the pickup and we'd just sit there and listen to the radio. And even for my son and I, you know, we don't get to watch a game all the time. But especially when we, we go down, uh, when I lay him down to bed, we sit there and we lay and listen to the Oilers game while he goes to sleep, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's too bad you didn't get it, Jack, but I hope that uh, – I hope that you uh, you get a lot of credit for the work that you do. 
I'm not sure if Sportsnet has recognized it or not, but uh, I'd love to hear you on the uh, Sportsnet broadcast team for the wedding. Daryl, thanks for calling, buddy. We do appreciate it. And don't worry, it won't go to Jack's head, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to need a new headset, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Can you gotta, get on that? We got and, Reed, I'm also going to require a glass of water, a soda, and I'd also like some donuts. But it hasn't gone to my head. Yeah, we'll bring you a bottle Will you of water. get on that, please? It's 6.58. More with Jack after the news.